Kia ora, you're listening to Speak Out Radio on 106.1 FM. I'm your host today, Compass, and I use they, them pronouns, and I'm here with Ked. Hi, I'm Ked. I also use they, them pronouns. And? I'm AJ Fitzwater. I use they, them pronouns. I'm an author from Christchurch, and I write feminist and queer speculative fiction. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited. It was really lovely um, because you sent us two books to read and to prepare for this um, interview. And a cad read it in one day. And I was like, how did you do this? I didn't understand. It took me like, it takes so good. It takes me a week to like read anything. Like sometimes it takes me a week to read a message from one of my friends. It's like, I do not read quickly. I'm a slow reader too, so and lockdown and quarantine and everything has made it even worse because my brain just can't keep up with stuff at the moment. But everything goes in one eye. I'm so glad there are people. Yeah, I'm so glad there are people who who are enjoying it. Thank you. Yeah, I I really loved it. Yeah, yeah, I really, really, really enjoyed it, and especially because I feel like throughout my life I haven't read that many. Um, rainbow books or books with rainbow characters in them so it was sort of it was really nice to read that especially going in knowing that there were going to be rainbow characters in it I was like digging through and I was like oh which one's the rainbow one and it was very clear which one (laughs) was the rainbow one because let me say tea was not subtle like not subtle at all um So I guess before we um, start digging into stuff, I'll just explain how we're going to do this interview for people that are listening. So the first half an hour is going to be spoiler free. Um, Basically, all you're going to know about the book is like that it's rainbow and some fun things about like the process of writing it. And then the second half an hour will be chock-a-block full of spoilers. So if you've read the book or you just don't care about spoilers, you can listen to that and we'll make it super clear when we're going into spoiler territory. Um, So I guess a good place to start is just with you introducing the book, I suppose. So what's the book called? What's it about? Tell us everything. All right. Um, No Man's Land is a historical fantasy set in Aotearoa, New Zealand in World War II. And it's based around the history of uh, the land girls who were the um, the women man-powered onto farms during World War II while the men were away on the battlefront. Um, and it's a book of discovery about self and about queerness. And, it, well, no spoiler, it's totally queer. <laughs> um, and... Um, there's a, a character called T who's coming from the city and she's having to do the the very hard learning curve of, of working on a farm and um, she meets um, Izzy who becomes kind of her mentor and her friend and um, they discover these shape-shifting abilities and it helps them um, figure out themselves and figure out how to... Um, help out in the war as well and so they're, they're working on the home front in a, in a battle of the women um having to take over the usual male sphere of work and also um they end up on the the battlefront in the war as well um so it's yeah it's this big learning curve um for the women and we've also got a token token male in there um, <laughs> there's one <laughs> yeah 
Um, and that's Grant. Um, I love Grant. I can't express how much I love Grant. (laughs) I'm just like, oh, you're just such such a sweetie. He's such a sweet guy. Um, and I based him on um, pre-serum Steve Rogers. Uh, That's how I, how I imagined him. Um, and, um, he can't go to war because he has a variety of illnesses that, um, but he's strong enough to, to work on the farm and, He's not your usual mid-century guy. He's he's very understanding. So no spoilers. There are reasons for that. Mm. Yes, yes, there are. I I do have to admit that when I first read the book and I saw that the main character's name was T, I was like, this is a non-binary character because that's a son such a non-binary name. Like naming yourself after a, like an object, a noun name. Um, But I was pleasantly, like, I was like, rainbow in any way. Love it. We love to see it. Um, Yeah. yeah. I I didn't write her as non-binary because there probably wouldn't have been much of an understanding. Oh, my cat is jingling in the background. (laughs) Um, Love it. Um, yeah, I, I didn't write her as, as, as binary because non-binary because I didn't think um, they would really understand that, but um, they were butch in presentation. Oh, mm. here comes my cat again. Excuse me, sorry. Yeah, I actually, I love that, especially through, hello, there's a cat on screen right now. Oh my gosh, best. He's a very jingly cat. Yes. He, oh, he's a monster. Does he have a name? Bug. Bug. Oh. (gasps) Precious. Um, Yeah, anyway. What was I thinking? Oh, yes. I absolutely loved, uh, especially throughout, like, I'd say, like, the first half of the book, there was a lot of descriptions about, like, um, Izzy especially, of talking about sort of the more masculine traits. And especially T being like, this isn't how you're how women are supposed to be but it's so lovely and it's so great and then I especially love there was one section in the book where she like starts to appreciate the fact that she has like muscle from working on the farm and I thought that was so lovely Mm. of like being able to appreciate those masculine features in themselves I really liked that yeah yeah um when I was doing the research for the book I was coming across all these pictures of the women who are at work and yeah they were built they had the muscles from throwing the sheep and they were tanned and you know um, white women shouldn't be tanned and all that sort of thing and wearing pants and all that sort of thing in, in, in the mid-century and they just really had to to muck in and there's this um, beautiful photo on the cover of um, one of the books I used for research um, and the woman she's got her hair curled but then she's completely mucky and she's got these wonderful muscles and she's holding down her sheep and she's just got this look on her face it's just totally butch and I, I based Izzy's kind of frame on that um, but yeah Izzy is definitely a butch she, she's the, the butch of the two um, and and T went into it wearing the dresses and the the shoes and the the nylons and all that sort of thing but she realized very quickly that you had to dispense of that and um I remember my grandmother talking about that time having to um you know dispense of of, of the pretties and and just get in there and and do the hard work Mm. I think definitely very important during that time especially if you're in that situation Mm, yeah absolutely yeah so 
I guess what would, what kind of inspired you to actually like get started with a story? Was it like reading through those books and then like a story just jumped into your mind or was there yeah. did the research come yeah. afterwards or how what was that process uh, like? It, it really was. I was inspired by a book I found in um, a second-hand bookstore. Um, it's Diane Bardsley's um, The Land Girls in a Man's World, and it's collecting the oral histories of the land girls of World War II, Aotearoa, New Zealand. And like I said, I saw the the, um, the front cover of this book, and it was absolutely amazing, and I was just immediately taken by this, because I'd never heard about the land girls before, and I just read this book really quickly, um, and the characters just immediately leapt out at me. I didn't have a story, but I had the characters. Um, so I started writing something, and it was... I thought, oh, there's just a short story in there, but it just kept on growing and growing and growing. And all of a sudden I had um, the founded family and I had the farming family and I had um, the, the fantasy grew quite easily out of um, the idea of um, New, Zeal New Zealanders connection to the land um, and to the animals here. And it, it was one of those serendipitous moments um, of writing where it just all comes together quite easily. Um, the writing wasn't easy for me, it never is, but um, the, the, the characters just came together so easily and so quickly. So, so that was really nice. Is that normally how your writing happens? Do the characters usually come first or the story? Or No, um, I have lots of different ways that I approach my, my writing. Um, and I like them all. Sometimes it's a theme that I write on. Sometimes it's a character that I want to do. Sometimes it's a place, a location or something like that. Um, but it all comes in, in, in different ways. And, and, and I'm fine with exploring different ways of, of approaching the writing. But um, that one was definitely character first. I feel like you can really feel that when you read the book because the characters really do feel very grounded they feel very strong and even like um some of the the more background characters like um the the other people on the farm uh, even they feel like they have their own fleshed out like sense of self and like when they would do something I'd be like oh that's totally in line with what that character would do and I think that was definitely like a, a shining a shining star of I really loved the characters and I felt super connected to the characters and I was yeah. just like I love them um, Thank you. Yeah. yeah, I did. I did write the background characters a bit more, but um, when it came through doing an, another draft and, and and cutting down some words, um, some of the background characters, um, like the other girls on the farm, they were um, just cut back a bit as well to to put more focus on the main characters. So there was a lot more world building and a lot more character building that was there. So that's probably why they feel a bit more present. Um, because all that work was done for them and it just just helped with the the, the bits that they were part of um, that they were fleshed out there yeah okay yeah I, I really enjoyed reading the book and I love that I, I think I reckon in the the second half hour we'll talk about the structure but I think talking about that might spoil some parts of the book so I'm just gonna like yeah. park that one for a second for um, the the second half of this um, but 
I find it really interesting what you're saying about like lots of different drafts because I guess I have this like mental image of writing of being like you sit down and in one night you like cry and you get an entire book out but how many drafts were there how long did it actually take you to write this book mm, um I think I started writing it around um 2016 but I had no concept of where I was going to take it and and like I said I thought it was just going to be a short story and it grew and grew and grew and I, I hadn't written anything that long to begin with because I'm not a novel writer yet I, I prefer shorter stories and novellas and things like that um and then all of a sudden I was in a novella territory and it was like, okay, I kind of need to start this again and, and plot it out because I was just one of those ones that I was just banging away at the keyboard and it was like, no, it needs a needs a plot. So I stopped, plotted it out, rewrote it again. So that was um, the second draft. And then when I sent it through my beta readers, that was the third draft. And once I sent it to um, to a publisher for, on submission, that went through another draft as well. So I guess it was about four, four and a half drafts maybe, once all the editing was done. So yeah, um, some stories take longer, some have come about in just one or two drafts. So it, it, it's all dependent on, on each story and the editor and what your beta readers see in it. See in it. Wow, the fact that this is a work since two thousand sixteen is, I don't, I don't know why it boggles my mind so much that books take so long to write. I don't know why, I. But that's so. I feel like you can definitely f- like sense that care that went into them. Like I was saying earlier about the characters and the world, definitely felt fleshed out and all of that. And yeah, I can yeah. definitely imagine somebody sitting with that for a very long time especially for like four years it's quite long I wanted to get the research right when I first started writing um about 10 years ago I said to myself I'm never going to write romance and I'm never going to write historical fantasy because (laughs) I just don't like history I don't like history but of course (laughs) that was part of my um growing feminist understanding and, and getting into a bit of academic feminist and, and queer um, academic work is understanding I didn't like history because I had no connection to it so finally seeing um, some queer history it's like I'm really interested in this and I want to tell these stories about queer history and and, and also queer history in Aotearoa New Zealand um, so I took care with the research because I wanted to get it right. I wanted to get my Te Ao Māori right. So I, I um, had a sensitivity reader on that. Um, and after one draft, I realised there was, you know, bits missing. There was some world building missing. So I talked to some family members who had memories of, of wartime um, in that area and and went back over some stuff from Te Papa and um, lesbian gay archives and things like that. So I wanted to make it right. Um, so I probably got some things wrong and if people are gonna call me out on that, that's cool, that's how I learn. Um, but yeah, I definitely wanted to get it right. If I'm gonna do something historical and I don't like doing historical research and stuff like that, I gotta get it right, yeah. Is this your, I know you said that when you first started out, you weren't um, 
so interested in writing historical fiction. Have you written much before now? Um, normal fiction or historical fiction? Historical fiction. Um, no, not really at all. Um, the science fiction and fantasy I write is more forward-looking. Um, but I realised writing this book and talking about it with people is that for, for to be for me to be more successful with my forward-looking um, queer writing, I need to know where I'm coming from. Um, and my understanding of queer history was very, very limited. I knew nothing about what was going on in New Zealand when I was a teenager. So I was hugely closeted, um, very afraid. And so um, queer speculative fiction has given me a way to open up to that and open up to the history as well. And I actually find myself in this place now, now that I've written one historical um, queer fantasy. I'm really interested in, in writing more and finding out about, about um, our history. I guess it's like you could oh. take it away, Kat. Take it away. Thank you. Um, not a fully formed question yet, but I'm getting there. Um, uh, would you, are you only interested in writing um, historical fiction for Aotearoa or are you thinking international or? Yeah, um, I would definitely be interested in writing um, historical queer um, fantasy um, again if I got the, the the research right. But there are also there's a huge queer community in in speculative fiction, and there are people writing those things. Um, and the Aotearoa New Zealand scene is really small. I mean, queer literature here is a niche and queer speculative fiction is a niche within a niche so um there was a, there was a few of us writing there so i feel like there is um something i can can contribute there um but i'm the sort of person who has a magpie brain and i will go where a story takes me um and if something um if, if I'm going to write about Stonewall or something that happened in, in Europe or something, I'll, I'll go with it. Absolutely. But at the moment, I don't have any plans, but I would like to. Mm. I, I find it really interesting you talking about um, like um, more futuristic things versus like historical things. Were there different, I guess you kind of talked about it already. Of You had to do like loads of research for this book as compared to maybe your other books, but are there, did you have different processes for writing a historical fantasy book as opposed to a different kind of fantasy? Yeah. Um, if I'm looking at science fiction, like looking forward, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about um, scientific modes for the body um, and socio-political um, information um, whereas with a historical fantasy, I'm looking at getting the dates right and, and getting the location right and the feel of, of, of the time right. And, that, and that's why I, I checked in with some family and, and things in the area. Um, but yeah, there are, there are diff definitely different processes. Um, still learning how to do that. Um, I was never taught good research skills at school so um it's still all a, le a learning process as i'm going along 
Well, it's research on both ends, but just different kinds of research and different yeah. areas to research. Yeah, absolutely. I do really like the socio-political um, research. Um, it, it tells me a lot about the world and how to um, push that forward and into imagining hope and ideas for the future. Mm. That sounds very interesting. Now I might have to go home and research it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it, it, it would be a totally different kind of sphere, especially with what you were just saying about thinking about hope for the future and having to theorise more where I guess we sort of, we know now that the war ended and we knew that that wasn't going to go on forever and we knew where that was going. And I guess you had to sort of like do try and emulate the same sort of thing of not knowing where something's going while also knowing that the war is going to end everything's going to be fine you're 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 writing your book it's fine um but I guess that's a different frame of mind that you have to be thinking in as like about events that have already happened in a way and versus events that like haven't yeah um it's, it's interesting you think of um world wars like in this the section of time but really um the war never ended well a war a political war never ended for queer people and, mm. and and women and marginalized genders in new zealand um i discovered after doing all this research um and that's why i added in the epilogue as well is um there was these queer found families that were in the farming community but they had to stay very closeted to be safe um, and the same across um, all sorts of industries and, and, and urban and, and rural centres and all that sort of thing. Um, and I wanted to give the idea that the war, in quotes, never really ended for queer people. They were always fighting um, for safety and fighting politically and, um, and, and, and just like the the war went into the, the Korean War and the Vietnam War and um, the civil rights movement and, and what that meant for New Zealand. And, and, and I wanted to show that, yeah, there was a cutoff of, of, of the end of the war, but um, these women in the, in the land service never really got their due. And this is why um, these oral histories um, had to be put down, um, written down because um, there was not a lot of interest in, 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 in the history of, of these women. Like the, the government decided to just chuck out all the paperwork about the land service after a couple of decades because we don't need to know about women's history, do we? Or marginalised genders' history. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was an ongoing rolling thing. Things never stopped. They, they, they kept on having to fight in one way or another and um, the way I, I turned it up for these characters is that they kept it close, kept their, their found family close and fought for kids in the community. My heart, my heart, yeah. But I, I completely understand what you're saying because I knew nothing about the Land Girls at all until before this book. And I guess as well, um, we tend to not, I feel like a lot of us tend to not care that much about our own history here in Aotearoa and we tend to be like, we talk about World War Two non-stop, but it's always in the context of Europe or America um, or Asia or somewhere like that and we don't really talk about 
the impact that that had here and we don't really talk about our own histories our own feminist history the history of women or the, the history of rainbow people the history of queer people um so I guess it was really it was very nice and kind of therapeutic to kind of get all of that in one of you really like claiming that history and saying this is actually really important and it's interesting and you should be able to read about this and it shouldn't have to be erased just because people don't find it as thrilling as like World War Two over in um, Europe. So, yeah, yeah, yeah um, I was, I, I, I'm sure and I'd, I'd be really interested to find more research and books written by Aotearoa New Zealanders about our queer history and I've, I've got a stack waiting for me for a project that I, I'd like to do. Um, but yeah, when, when you talk about queer history, you're thinking about Stonewall and like um, the American gays, gay men and, and, mm. and war and, and, and all that sort of thing. So I wanted to put queer Aotearoa history on the world stage um, and, and, and hopefully give that to the speculative community and hopefully also give something to um, New Zealand's rainbow community as well. And it's just been really lovely that people have been saying, well, this is, this is a really great book and thank you for writing it. And it's just, when you're in the midst of writing it, you don't realize or you don't think that you're writing something important. It's just a story you want to tell and I'm telling it to myself. And then when it's out there in the world and, and people are claiming it and loving it and it's just a really joyous feeling to feel that I've done something right and I've contributed something right. Mm. Okay, so we're coming up to the end of the, the first section and we'll come back in the second section um, with some spoilers and we'll talk about the book. But I guess my last question is, was there any like tiny gem or something that really stood out to you through um, writing this book or researching or anything like that that um, you really took away from creating this book? Yeah, I want to do more. Um, like I said, history was not important to me because I couldn't find my connection to it. And now I've found a connection to um, marginalised gender history and queer history and, and Aotearoa. Um, I want to do more and I have this project that I'd really love to do is, is write a collection of stories um, about maybe characters and uh, people that you don't know so much about in, in our rainbow history and, and I want to bring them forward because you know, everybody knows the big drag queens and um, Georgina Bayer and, 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 and Mika and all that sort of thing but I want to find the quiet people and, and maybe not talk about them in particular, but characters based around them. Um, so that is a, a project I'd really like to do and, and really actually go to the lesbian gay archives and, and, and research that stuff really deeply. So I've got this, this passion in me now to find out our, our queer history and, and, and bring it forward. Well, I'm sure we can't wait to read what you write. Oh, thank you. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. So um, we're going to take a quick break because I don't have premium Zoom um, because I am not 
fancy nor am I rich. Um, so <laughs> we're doing this mostly because we need to reconnect to Zoom, but also because <laughs> spoiler section. Um, so thank you so much for talking to us so much about um, rainbow history. And we will continue this conversation um, for people listening in like two seconds. Um, so you've been listening to Speak Up Radio on 106.1 FM. Um, we're just carrying on. We, we've reconnected on Zoom once again. Woo-hoo. We're back here together, feeling good, hey. ready to talk about spoilers, ready to talk about the story, yeah. what we've all been waiting yeah. for. Um, if, if, if you don't want to know about the story, skip this bit. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just... try not to talk too much, to give too much, because it's a novella. So it's on the short-ish side. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the, just the audiobook version. We're just going to read yeah. all of the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, I, I, so I was talking a little bit about the, the structure earlier, um, but I did want to say that I was kind of surprised at the, it was a really nice length I found. It was, it's like, what, one, 150, 180 pages or something like that, which is. Yeah, 35,000 words. So it's um, less than a short novel in it and, and um, within literature, that's a novella. Yeah. It's just like. I was like, yeah, yeah this just, is good. This it felt good. it felt right at that length. Mm. Yeah, and because you have the like you were saying before, you write mostly short stories, or yes, yes, yes I do. So, um, writing something that length was a journey for me. Um, it was a, a, a huge learning experience for me, and now that I can do it, I'm gonna try it again yeah and before you know it, you'll be like order of the phoenix like 500 pages long uh, <laughs> i don't know about doorstopper fantasies one of the other things i said when i first started writing was i'm going to be like um one book only no no enormous series and all that sort of thing but now that i've written longer longer books it's like okay i'm probably going to write a series <laughs> i have a, a series of novellas that i want to write so we support this way. fully, let me just say. <laughs> Please do it. Um, yeah. So, okay, going into a spoiler section now. I keep on having to remind myself I'm allowed to, like, say things about the book now because yes. I'm just like, I don't want to do that. No but, man lands. Yeah. Spoiler. Yeah, the spoiler section. Um, so talking about the structure, I really love the structure, and I guess I did absolutely no research about the book or the process or anything, which I know CAD did some, um, because we talked about it on Thursday, and they were like, um, can I ask this question? Because I already know the answer to it, and I was like, that's the point of an interview, CAD. Like, ask all of the questions <laughs> you want. Um, yeah. Don't call me out. <laughs> yeah. Fine, go right ahead. Yeah, but I guess knowing that you've written short stories or mostly short stories before um it kind of makes sense with the structure because it felt like there were very clear um sections of the story of like there's the the introduction then there's the getting to like know the farm and the people on the farm and then discovering um the this magical inner fantasy thing and then relationship building and then um like it continues in these very nice little they feel very organic little pieces and little snippets of stories, um, which yes. I've abs- I really loved that about it. Of it felt like you got to see this this part of this person's life 
and like absorb as much of it as you could and then see how that like continued on and I really loved that yes. was that something that you were aware that you were doing or was that just like a, a happy side effect no absolutely I was very much aware that um I didn't know how to write along the story um and I said to myself, okay, I know how to write a short story. I know how to do um, the build up and within about 3000 words and how to get out of 3000 words. So I thought I'm going to plot every chapter like a short story. Um, and that worked out really well because um, the ups and downs of um, the overall arc of the story just seemed to click together um, that way very nicely. Um, and I thought it was something new that I was learning, but as I found out, there are other plenty of other authors who do write that way. Is like they structure their writing time um, and their plot um, like a short story every chapter. So I'm glad I learned something new, but it's not so new, so, and it, it's something that worked really, really well for me. So I'm going to try it that way again and, and see how it goes. Do you like? Do you write? like outlines before you write or do you outline as you go? Um, I do both. I pants and plot. It just depends on where I'm starting from. If I'm just starting with a theme or an idea of a story, I start writing and if I get to about two or 3,000 words and I'm going, I don't have a story here, I chuck it out and I, I try plotting it. Um, but definitely with my longer things, I do plot because I need a place to go, a place to end each day when I'm doing a, um, a writing session. And I, an idea, if I'm, I'm kind of flailing around in somewhere, it's like, okay, I can move on to this next section and come back and fill in this paragraph later or something like that. So if I, with a, a longer thing like a novella, um, I give myself a place to move to. Because um, pantsing something that long, um, I just feel I lose the way very easily that's me during november during nanowrimo yeah yeah dancing the whole month yeah panic typing exactly yeah yeah and i guess as well um, sort of i'll, I'll go and then you go oh gosh yeah it's our interview um yeah so oh i forgot what i was gonna say oh wait no i remembered um so the thing that I really found super fascinating with your writing in particular is how much you focused on like the senses. It was less about sort of like there's a tree there and there's a house there. And it was more like, especially at the beginning of the book, there was a lot about like smelling things and sensing things. And then as it progressed, there was a lot of like sensing things like bubbling under the surface and under like uh, inside them and that sort of thing. And it was a lot mm. about like, how they felt within their bodies was that something that you were consciously going into and like were like this will be a really cool effect and this is how it'll progress and or was that mm. sort of just like a, a byproduct of of writing this sort of story when i was thinking about writing uh within the new within new zealand locations um I, I grew up bushwalking and um, family had farms, so I very distinctly remember, you know, smells and, and tactiles and textures of being on the farm and out in the bush and all that sort of thing. Um, my granddad took me bushwalking. Um, so 
there are some new, some Aotearoa New Zealanders who have that very distinct connection to um, the bush and the land and all that sort of thing. And so you get that smell of um, dry grass in summer. And I wanted to get that across. And one of the things I really wanted to get across was the, the smell and the feel of the Nor'wester. Because um, when people talk about winds um, and weather and fantasy books it, it feels very um, North American um, so I wanted to give the, the flip side of that is, is our cold winds come from the south and our hot winds come from the north so I, I wanted to, to give that feel as well and I started out doing that with the characters like um, she's from from Dunedin so she's going into the bush for the first time and it's like she's getting all these amazing smells the manure and the trees and the dogs and everything and she thought oh it's gonna be really gross but all of a sudden it really connects with her and and, and he's going why are these smells and and the water really connecting with me and that was part of her growing sense of her magic is that her connection to water was that she could smell everything really distinctly as it came to her through the ear. Um, so it wasn't grossing her out, it was fascinating her. And, and I grew with the fascination of, of um, how tea was connecting with the land. And it was like, oh, we've got a magical connection here. That's, that's really cool. And I just went deeper and deeper and deeper with it. And it made and in, in the big adventure part in the in the second half of the book, it made the big adventure part so much easier to write because I could do something while well, it wasn't seeing what was going on, but she could smell everything and it was like vibrations and 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 and, and touching things. Um, so that made the, the, the magic really interesting to me to, to grasp onto that was that was using the senses easy to write did you write from personal experience or yeah yeah I definitely did um I was such a water baby when I was a kid I don't swim much anymore but um you know swimming in in, in our rivers and streams and um being in the bush and all that sort of thing i have distinct memories of bush smells and the, and the manure and the dogs and all that sort of thing um so trying to get some memories down on paper i don't know if i succeeded well but i wanted to try really i definitely try. think you did yeah okay yeah. It was such an interesting experience, like reading this book, because I feel like I've I've been very used to reading books that are like these are all of like the objects around this person, and this is whereas you sort of were like this is how this place makes you feel, and this is these are the sensations that you have in this space, and it felt um a little more. It was it was a very interesting mix because I was like I can't visualize this place but I can feel this place in a lot of ways of like I could totally imagine myself like going for like a tramp through the bush and I was in I sort of got pulled back to that memory rather than being like this is in a different place that I've never been to before mm. which was yeah. a very interesting experience reading this book um yeah um yeah um 
people um, people in Aotearoa New Zealand will have a different sensory experience of this book than somebody even in Australia or North America or Europe. And I'd be very interested to hear um, what non-New Zealanders have to say about the sensory experience because our sensory experience of books set in um, a pseudo-Europe or a pseudo-American is, is completely different because they rely on some things that we have to grasp, you know, have to do a bit of research. Like when they talk about, like I was saying, the weather, you know, the weather comes in from different directions and, and different feels and the different smells of the rain, um, for example. Um, yeah, yeah, um, I, I definitely wanted to, to give to people outside New Zealand a different ex sensory experience. Um, so this book, the, one of the biggest themes is discovery. Where does that urge like to dis explore that come from? Um, well, like I said, my, my experience of identity and discovery um, didn't happen in my teenage years. I was very fearful, very closeted. I had no, a very small concept of myself. And it wasn't in, until my 30s that I um, really began to understand um, gender and, and sexuality and all that sort of thing. So, you know, it's, it's kind of been like having a second puberty in your 30s and 40s. Um, so I'm, with my writing, I've been doing a bit of self-discovery that people would, you know, now be doing in their, their teens and their 20s and... I don't know if that feels a little bit weird to somebody. Um, to, I, to, I feel to like that makes perfect but, sense if you constantly yeah. have to learn and grow in yourself, eh? Yeah, yeah. I, I like the learning and growing, but also I don't want to be appropriative of, of um, younger experiences or that because people people call me an elder now, and I'm like, I'm still learning. I still don't know what my gender is. Um, uh, it's yeah. a, identity is so messy. I love it. Yeah. And I'm in a better place now than I was 10 years ago. I have, I have a stronger understanding. But um, I know a self-discovery book seems very cliche, but they're also incredibly popular and people really glom onto them. Um, and while I'm not um, a femme lesbian, I am a bit butch, so Izzy probably talks to me more than T. Um, and, and, and also that, that whole idea of finding yourself during adversity. I mean, I haven't been going through war or anything, but um, I started doing my self-discovery right as the earthquakes hit. So I'm like dealing with trauma on top of trauma. Mm. So that was difficult and, and and I can kind of understand the, the, the self-discovery through through difficult times that way um, but yeah it was I know a lot of people write you know discovery and coming of age stories I didn't want to make it a coming of age I wanted to make them a little bit older as, as, as they found themselves yeah I, um, I feel like that is such a, a staple of this book of everything like ties into each other of 
um, T goes to a new place and discovers all this stuff and then discovers not only new things about like her sexuality but also she learns new stuff about her connection to magic and to the land but she also like discovers new things about the people around her and her brother yes. Robbie who for we don't see for a majority of the book because he's off fighting in the war but um, yes at I, I have no clue at what point throughout the book because I can't can't remember the very first time but uh, she starts having like this connection where she can start feeling what he's feeling and it's yes. this lovely beautiful story of discovering yourself and then also discovering like connection to others through discovering yourself which I found like really beautiful and it felt definitely more um more organic and more I don't know maybe not more loving but loving in a different way than the the purely like discovery of self but it was like discovery of others as well which I thought was very beautiful mm. yeah I wanted to do something different with the, the family relationship um because um T and Robbie's mother is is very traditional you know you have to get married and why are you going to work and all that sort of thing your, your brother's supposed to be doing the work and being the man and all this sort of thing um and tea going off part of her self-discovery is that she just she thought she had the normal sibling relationship you know the boy gets it all um and she's just the girl and she's nothing in the family she's supposed to do the emotional care and the physical care in the family but as she's coming to find herself she begins to not only understand herself but understand her brother better as well and she she, she begins to realize that they have what would be a different relationship than a, than a traditional family relationship. And that makes her go back and think about things that they've been through before. And, and, and like you were saying, yes, she, she starts having this physical, magical connection to her brother. And it's like, oh, I felt this before and I've smelt this before. And we kind of talked about this before, but we really never made the connection. We just thought, oh, we're just brother and sister. That's just the way brother and sister are. But no it's it's this this magical connection they have and and it makes her start reassessing her family which also makes her reassess the nuclear family as a whole and which goes on into her discovery is like okay i don't want a nuclear family i want to go on and look after lost kids and other gay kids and and, and all that sort of thing so yeah her understanding her nuclear family helps her break that mold um which i didn't discover that that theme had come through until i'd written it so that's really nice to find something that you've just automatically written in speaking of like the relationships between t and robbie and t and izzy and robbie and grant and everyone um yep. where does where do you like draw your inspiration from the relationships in your writing from okay well in this book um Grant and Robbie is definitely Steve Rogers and Bucky Barnes. Yeah. I wanted yeah. them to Snaps. to get they, I wanted them to get married and kiss and, yeah. and all that sort of thing. <laughs> um, get married and kiss. <laughs> yeah, well, kiss and get married. Yeah. And all that. <laughs> have, have have the relationship that they were not allowed in the movies. Oh, Ooh, um, call them out. Call them out. Yes, <laughs> thank you, MCU. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, T and Izzy, where did they come from? Oh well, gosh. 
like I said, Izzy is, is kind of the butch representation of um, the, the pictures I saw of some of the land girls. Um, and T kind of started off just as, as this every woman. Um, I could just kind of picture her as this white girl, but she realizes later on that she's not entirely white because her mother has been lying to her about some of her background. Um, yeah, she was just, I was trying to make her an ordinary Aotearoa New Zealand girl during World War II, but then she kind of grew from that. Um, and I'm not sure we're in the, the blender of my writing brain that she came from. And I had kind of had Izzy first before tea. I, I cannot Izzy. express how much I love Izzy. I would I would hang out with Izzy, to be honest. Yeah. I'd be like Yeah, she'll be Yeah. Um I I think my favorite like progression for tea in particular was at the beginning she was like, This is what women do. Can't wait to have a husband. And then I think it's like it gets to pretty much the halfway mark when um it's like christmas and everybody goes home and then she's like yeah. having having a husband just doesn't excite me the way it used to and i was just like honey honey you need to do yeah. some like reevaluating you need to do some soul searching like um which i i think i found it very funny as like in this book and being like like i've been in those situations where i'm just like honey you're gay and they just have no clue. And it was really fun yeah. seeing that, like, through tea. Yeah, it was, it was so much fun getting to the kissing parts. And tea has, having absolutely no idea what's going on. Um, it, it, it was like me when I was a teen. I thought that being gay was a particularly male thing. I didn't know that women and other genders could be gay or queer or anything so I, I was kind of putting that into tea going oh so maybe men are gay and that's illegal um but women can't be gay but also that was kind of what was written into um into the law of New Zealand um like there was no law about against women being together and that was a very Victorian thing um, but she, yeah, she was like, oh, um, Izzy is looking at me really strange. Maybe she's really a man. She's a man pretending to be a woman or something like that. But no, she's very much, just very gay. much a woman. Just a gay. Yeah. Just, and she was like, oh, women can be gay. <laughs> and it was just so funny and sweet. And I was just kind of giggling as I'm, as, as I'm type, typing it. Oh my gosh. And very endearing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I think their relationship is so fun, like throughout. And one of the, I wrote up a whole bunch of questions beforehand. And one of the questions is, T and Izzy are gay. What's up with that? And I think it's just like, I really love the fact that they, they really do seem like two very different people who find similarities and find like, um, yeah. like a, really beautiful relationship with one another that they were just like who knew where this came from this came out of nowhere um yeah which is yeah. I think really fun Izzy is kind of the mentor I wish I had when when I was um a, a teen and 
she knows she's gay, but she, she's a lesbian, but she can't talk about it. She, she's had a better understanding and education through that. Problems with her family, but at least she knows about that sort of stuff. Um, so she's also very lonely, um, which is why she sticks on, on the same farm around Grant and Robbie, because they understand, but there's probably nobody else really around that understands. And so here comes T and she sees T and it's like, oh, you lost a lonely child. Come to me, be my friend. And she's like, I'm going to be your mentor now. I'm going to be your friend mentor, your farm mentor, and maybe your gay mentor because, you know, you, you get the gay da. Yeah, yeah, she just started, started out saying, I'm going to be your friend. Um, so, so that was really lovely. She was... You don't really see it because she's so staunch, but she was a little bit desperate for for a friend. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of how I I, I, wrote, I wrote Izzy. Mm. And I feel like all of the, especially those four, the four of them, their connection, Robbie, um, T, Izzy, and Grant. I feel like their um, friendships and relationships to one another. It feels very. Um, it feels very loving and like they all really appreciate each other but it also feels very like we're the only four people in the world that understand us and therefore we are family through that um which i feel mm, is absolutely yeah which i feel like is definitely a very queer experience of being like nobody else in the world understands me aside from you people um and creating yeah. like chosen families and found families through that which I thought was um the, I definitely felt very connected to it and I was like every this is all of my friend groups and um yeah that was really beautiful to see that reflected in writing and I really I loved and appreciated that yeah yeah oh thank you yeah um I had a very nascent understanding of queer people when I was a teenager. I knew they existed, but I couldn't find a group to join because I, I grew up in a very small town, very conservative town. And so you think you, you think of queer people during World War II that they wouldn't be able to find each other or, or even in Aotearoa New Zealand, they wouldn't be able to find each other during that time. But they really did because, you know, at any time, um, queer people just gravitate together, that they find each other. Um, and it took me a while to find my people. Um, but yeah, like you said, they, they found each other and it's like, okay, maybe we're the only four gay people in New Zealand. We better stick together even if we have our problems because, um, you know, there are bigger problems that we need to, take, to, to deal with. Um, but Robbie would have probably come across um, gay communities during the war um that's some more research i want to do there's a, a great book about um being being queer during wartime that i want to read um but yeah he would have got a bit of understanding and he would have been able to bring back that understanding from wartime as well because um spoiler near the end when the big adventure has finished there's somebody in his um in his unit that sees something happens, sees a kiss happen. And this person in the unit just kind of stands there and goes, good on you, mate. Yeah. 
If only everyone reacted that way when being yeah, faced yeah, with Corvanos. Yeah. 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 And because this is the spoiler section, we can talk about this in more detail. Um, but yeah. I, I absolutely I really love the relationship between Robbie and Grant. And I think it's because we don't see much of Robbie until the big adventure section. Um, we mostly just hear about him through other people, but with Grant, you really get to see him and you see how, um, like, he definitely feels, he feels very gentle, like a very gentle person who just, like, loves yes. and cares. Um, and I think their relationship being so soft and gentle and loving was, um, it was like a massive contrast to the big adventure section that we just had. And it was a really lovely like staple of like queer love is beautiful, gentle love. And it's, yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, I, I wanted to kind of get away from the, the, the really blokey, um, very, very, very blokey gay sort of um, thing. And I, I wanted to give a different ideal of, of, of gay love um, from the mid-century. Um, and and that, I, I absolutely made um, the boys a bit softer, but also the girls accepting of that and and feeling comfortable around and around their softness and their their, their more feminine things, um, their, their more feminine betrayals. Um, and I wanted to show that even though Grant physically couldn't fight, he had ways to contribute physically um, in the adventure um, and doing a, a guy doing the emotional labor mm. um, and I also wanted to show that with with Robbie as well he did a lot of emotional labor with with helping T understand herself and be safe from her mum yeah so we're coming to up to the end of our hour together. So I guess, Kat, do you have any last questions or AJ, is there any last things that you would like to impart on us, any of your wisdom? Um, yeah? Um, I, I have one last question, if that's all right. Yeah, go ahead. Do you have any advice or like um, little helpful things for any rainbow writers in Aotearoa? things you'd want them to know perhaps if you're starting out um read a lot um i wish i could say that to my younger self i wish i could take my younger self and stick me in the library and just go read everything but also there wasn't a heck of a lot that i that i had to choose from but and i know it can be difficult for for um younger rainbow people who might not feel safe and asking people for help um, whether it's asking family or a librarian or, or, or something like that. Um, but there are often some really cool rainbow um, displays or rainbow um, rainbow connections, I was going to say, rainbow collections. Um, there's a lot of lists you can look up online. There's a lot of YA to start with, which is absolutely fascinating, and um, a lot of queer speculative fiction that you can... Um, look up but there's a great queer YA um, collection out there so once you find one book you go down the rabbit hole to another and to another and that was what I was going to say about um, my book as well No Man's Land is not just one book um, it's or, or one experience it, it's a whole lot of different um, history 
in, in different books that once you read one, you get to another and to another, and it just becomes this really broad, rich um, culture that you didn't realize was there. So yeah, read one book and off you go. And a really great resource for that is um, Inside Out. We have uh, the Out on the Shelves campaign, which we have lists and lists and lists of rainbow books from kids' books to adult fiction. Well, adult fiction sounded a bit dodgy, but, you know, like books for adults. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Um, And I also um, went to a librarian's conference a couple of years ago and I, I don't know how far, how much further they've gone with that, um, school librarians, um, but they were trying to figure out a way for um, young rainbow readers to come to them safely, whether that was like little stickers or bookmarks or something like that. But um, you might find a sticker on the spine of a book or a librarian has got a sticker or a badge or something like that. There are good people out there and I know it can be difficult to find them. Um, but yeah, there are school librarians who are working on that and, and very interested and, and, and keen on making sure that um, librarians and, and, and teachers making sure that kids have um, access to those books. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And where are some places that people can go buy your book or read your book, No Man's Land, if they want to? Which okay. hopefully they will after this, because I, yes. I feel like we've we've been doing a good job of being like, this is amazing. Oh, you should definitely go read you. this. Thank you. I've really enjoyed this. It's been great. I can't even believe it's been an hour. Um, no Man's Land is available. <laughs> no Man's Land is available on all major ebook platforms um if you'd like a print copy there is some available um in bookstores around the country um the women's bookstore um rtb's scorpios i know it's available in some libraries um if you'd like to buy a print copy paperroadpress.co.nz is um the the publisher um and you can get it sent from there um, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my name AJ Fitzwater at AJ Fitzwater. Same for Instagram, though I don't Instagram much. Twitter is basically where I, I do all my thinking. Um, and I have a blog where I, I has all the links to all my books and my um, my stories, which is pickledthink.blogspot.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been really amazing. It's been awesome, like hearing all of your knowledge and um, learning about your processes, especially um, after having read the book. And I feel like this interview has made me think about the book in like a different way. And I want to go read it again because I feel like I'll find different, different things in it now. Um, But again, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Lovely to be here. Yeah, it's been wonderful. And and, uh, thank you so much. You've been listening to Speak Out Radio on 106.1 FM. Kakeets!